Hey everyone, a quick note from us here at Live Up Pod. You know we love movies and television from our childhoods, and we try to highlight the great performances and especially the excellent work of women screenwriters like Leslie Dixon, Linda Wolverton, and Carolyn Thompson. And we're way overdue here, shouting out our support to the Writers Guild of America, SAG-AFTRA, and all of the crew members who these strikes are impacting. I was talking to some of my IATSE local 481 brothers and sisters at a block party recently, and the loss of income to them has been devastating, but they know, and we know this is so important. So we just wanted to say, hang in there, we're in your corner, and regardless of whether the future movies you make live up to us or not, we thank you for all the hard work that you do. Welcome to the Live Up Podcast, where we revisit the movies from our youth to see if they live up. Quick note how this episode will go. We'll review, discuss, and score whether the movie in question lives up to us as adults and whether it lives up to the intended audience today. I'm Jess Latterman. And I'm Amanda Treat. On today's episode, we saw how awesome everything is in Chicago on a sunny day when Ferris Bueller cruises through. (laughs) But now we get to see how terrifying Chicago is after dark. It's 1987's Adventures in Babysitting. Jess, I'd really like to think that Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Adventures in Babysitting happen on the exact same day. That Ferris and his friends drive out of town just as Elizabeth Shue and her crew are driving it. I love that note. And I think as a kid, I didn't even put together that these two are in the same city. But I am going to now forever link these two in my mind that it happened oh, on the yeah. exact same day. <laughs> Yeah, no, the the Shake It Up Baby Parade has ended and they've swept up all the confetti and like out comes all of the crazy. Yeah, out comes the criminal enterprises. kids have to navigate through. (laughs) This movie, 1987 Adventures in Babysitting, it is the directorial debut of Chris Columbus, who we all know from Home Alone and from the first Harry Potter movie and all sorts of other good movies. A couple of not so good movies, but you know, everyone's got their hits and misses. Yeah. Jess, this was your pick. Why are we reviewing Adventures in Babysitting today? We are reviewing this because I have been dying to rewatch this movie. (laughs) So this was not a listener request. It was just me thinking that I loved this movie and I wanted to watch it again. So that's why we're picking it. Is this one of those movies you watched like a million times because it was on cable on the weekends or something? A hundred percent. So I watched this all the time. It was in heavy, heavy rotation. Perhaps I had a little bit of a crush on Elizabeth Shue. That's probably likely. I'm trying to think now whether this was like on TV with another movie. I feel like this and Coming to America are tied to me. <laughs> with a Troop Beverly Hills. And then it was <laughs> Troop Beverly Hills, Adventures in Babysitting, Coming to America, and then Loop. Back to the beginning. Troop Beverly Hills, Adventures <laughs> Pretty much. in Babysitting, Coming to America. Your whole childhood right there in a flash. It is. It is. To me, this was the ideal night of your life as a kid. Nothing could be better than what happens in this movie when you're 9, 10, however old. And I'll just say, I so I did rewatch this with my kids because there's remakes out there now. We didn't watch the remake. Yeah, I saw there's like a Disney version or something now. Yeah, so there is a Disney remake, which my kids haven't seen and I haven't seen. But there's also other movies out there that kids watch called The Sleepover. And there's various iterations on that. And this 
it, and even in those movies that are made within the last 10 years, there's a ton of references to this. Like when I was watching some of them with my daughter, I was like, oh, this happens in Adventures in Babysitting. It's the same. It's like a carbon copy. That was sort of laying the scene. And that's how I sold it to my kids. I was like, oh, it's just like it's just like uh, the sleepover. You'll love it. As I've dis- I'm discovering that you and I had very different viewing habits as kids. So yeah, I didn't have Lord- cable. Oh, <laughs> please, Lord, tell me you've seen this. I've only seen this once, and it was very memorable because it was under some slightly weird circumstances. First of all, I cannot believe you've only seen this once. Like, I'm sort of convinced that you were sort of raised on another planet. But anyway, no. keep going. <laughs> so when I was 10 years old, my soccer team from Newton, Massachusetts, decided we were going to go play a Memorial Day tournament in Massapequa, Long Island. Oh, your, I'm, your I'm familiar with where that is. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love this. This, oh, this comes back to Long Island. I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, this is a Long Island memory. Lord help us. <laughs> so when we got there, the arrangements were that my soccer teammates and I would be staying with a local family of a girl on the Massapequa team. Which, if you think about, is very weird because our parents just handed us off to these random families to stay at their house for the entire tournament. So me and Megan, who I've referenced several times on this podcast, went and stayed with the family of Jamie, and they were actually very lovely hosting us. But it was just this very weird concept of us like sleeping on sleeping bags on the floor in this house full of people that we did not know at all. And in hindsight, my mother who works for child social services was like, I can't believe we would just like, without any questions or background checks, just like loan you to a family for a weekend. Like you don't know if they've got an alcoholic uncle living over the garage. You don't know if there's like a sex offender next door. Like we just didn't even question it. We just handed you over. It's very our generation. It's like, here's my it kids. Was. It'll be fine. Yeah. But yeah, that was just like the 80s. It was a free for all. Like you can smoke <laughs> in the car in the face of your kid with no seatbelt on. He's riding in the front seat. So yeah, our parents sent us away with these random families. And I just remember it feeling slightly uncomfortable being there because it was mm-hmm. like, we don't know them. This is yeah. their house. And then they were like, hey, we got this movie for you guys to watch. And at that age, we hadn't been to overnight camp. Wait, how old like were you again? 10? 10. Like, okay. how old is Lily? She's 11. Like, would you just drop her off at some family's house that you'd never met before? Probably and hope for the not. Best? <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. It was a very, yeah, very like 80s, 90s kind of thing going on there. So, yeah. That was when I saw this movie, when Megan and I were uncomfortably, like, sitting there very still, like, behave yourself. And nothing happened. It was a lovely soccer tournament. They were really nice hosts. You were traumatized. It was just a weird, weird vibe. (laughs) So that's my viewing of this movie. So So was the movie memorable to you? Did you like it? As a kid, I think... I liked it, but the the feeling of uncomfortable really stuck with me. Like mm. that there was a I lot hope, of uncomfortable going on in this movie. I hope that this was a therapeutic viewing. Yeah, I was on my own couch. I had my own <laughs> dog. Dog. The dog was my dog. I don't know how you guys talk like that. By the way, your accent is nuts. I dropped the accent. I had to. You I had to. Bit, yeah. I had to leave it behind. Yeah. 
I'm a little worried that this is going to color your your feeling of the movie. I feel like I've been in this place before. And as, <laughs> as, as we've established, movies that the other one has either not seen or seen just once might not fare as well. But, you know, maybe, maybe this is the one. This is the one we're going to break through. <laughs> Redemption. All right. Well, with that... Jessica, would you like to give one of your fantastic plot summaries? Sure. So formal. Jessica. Yeah. So for those of us who've only seen it once in an awkward situation on Long Island or just have seen it a million times like me and don't remember. So this movie is basically every kid's dream babysitting experience and the perfect time capsule for the 80s. Yeah, there's a plot like Chris, played by Elizabeth Shue. She takes the kids through a series of misadventures in Chicago Hopefully on the same day that Ferris Bueller had his adventures. Yes, I, want, go there. I want her car to pass his Ferrari. Oh, like her, that would be a paneled station wagon going past the Ferrari. Amazing. Here we go. Or passing like the principal like on a bus or something. Oh, yeah. If he was still walking <laughs> yes. up the street with like his clothes all ripped up and she's driving by in her wood paneled station wagon. Sorry, I interrupted the plot. No, right, no. I on. think I like that addition to the plot, but... So, so Chris takes the kids on an adventure through the mean streets of Chicago. She picks up her hot mess friend, Brenda, and nobody cares about the well-being of children. And Chicago is basically the mean streets urban nightmare of criminal oh, enterprise. Oh, it's like Gotham. Like, there's no Batman in this town. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's populated with cartoonish criminals every turn. And I'd say, like, actually, one thing that's interesting is the, the idea of urban places being unsafe it's not something my kids could relate to. I mean, we, we live outside of D.C. I'm not saying every neighborhood in D.C. is safe, like not every neighborhood in Chicago or Boston or New York is, but urban areas are kind of bougie now. So the idea that it's unsafe is kind of foreign to, to some suburban kids, we'll say, these days. But it's such an 80s thing. Totally. Like that was huge in the 80s. It was like the sun went down and... If you're not at home, you're going to get murdered by a shadowy person who steps out from around the corner. People were terrified of cities in the 1980s. Like, it was just this aura of danger and evil. Go home and lock yourself up in your suburban house. And it was such, I'm going to call it a racist mindset that we had in the 80s. It definitely had whiffs of racism for sure throughout this. And, and, and now I could look back at other 80s movies and think the same thing. But the urban versus suburban motif, very 80s and very something that I think I'm not sure that that's as much of a thing or relatable or understood for kids now. So, no. you know, I know my kids didn't ask me about that. You know, they, you know, they don't really care. But it's interesting because I had, you know, in some of the remakes of similar kind of movies, they have to go really kind of crazy with the story to make going into the city an adventure in some ways. So yeah. it's like in the one of them that I saw, they make the mom as a secret spy or something because they have to have something because you're not really going into the mean streets of Chicago, really, in the 1980s. So I guess what I'm saying is that that feeling of mean streets is very 80s time capsule to me. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the 80s because that, I mean, I think it features heavily in some of the movies we've seen on this podcast, but... For this one, just felt like a textbook example. Like if you were saying, going to say, Alexa, show me what the 80s was like 
in pop culture or something, this they'd be like, go ahead and this watch. This movie just starts playing. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. This movie just yeah. starts playing, and that's <laughs> like here's Adventures in Babysitting from 1984. <laughs> yeah, no, this movie is so 1980s that when we're judging whether this lives up or not, I feel like we're judging does the 1980s live up or not. I agree. Every trope that you want to fit in there, starting right off the bat with. You have the main character, Chris, played by Elizabeth Shue, dancing around in the biggest, most floral, hideous bedroom, like 1980s style oh, yeah. floral bedroom. Oh my God. I did not have a floral bedroom, but like, I remember wanting I one did. in the 80s. Oh, I really God. wanted one. I also feel like it had echoes of probably what's depicted in Stranger Things now. You know, this is what 80s bedrooms look like in movies. Yeah. For sure. No, I... Then there's characters named Brenda, which you don't hear that name very often yeah. anymore. Brenda's, the Brenda's turn into Karen's and it's fine. Oh. <laughs> Actually, the one flaw with this whole scene is she's lip syncing to the crystals and then he kissed me. And that song's in the 1960s. Yeah, that's the 60s song. I was just like, oh, you couldn't have gotten something like Tiffany. There was no Tiffany available or uh, Debbie Gibson. Like we could have... We could have done more 80s here. We could have. I do think that's a little bit of an 80s trope too, though. I mean, there's a lot of girl gets boy, girl with boy. But in the 80s and 90s, some of it was girl upgrades from bad boy to better boy. And I think that's definitely played out here. Another 80s thing that jumped out at me is why did parents in the 1980s all seem like they aged to <laughs> 60 years old? Oh like, God. there's no way... <laughs> everyone's parents were that old but they just looked so old the parents in this but movie it just looked they look like grandparents they look like grandparents they're quaffed they have shoulder pads that's ridiculous oh, yeah. and yeah and all of that like lily kind of picked up on that a little bit and i think she even made some sort of comment to the effect of you know uh, I think kids would be comfortable to tell their parents that they're embarrassing them these days. Like she made some sort of yes. commentary in terms of how you could talk to your parents. And this is sort of referring back to when the son, Brad, is embarrassed by his parents for whatever, I think for whatever reason with Chris coming over, because he has a crush on Chris. You know, it, it, my daughter totally picked up on that. And she's basically like, why doesn't he just tell his parents that they're embarrassing him? And I think that casualness, again, because it's like the parents depicted in the 80s were like a decades older than they should have yeah been. she's babysitting for this family and their younger daughter sarah must be what seven eight years something old something like that yeah and the mom looks like she's in her mid-50s or 60s <laughs> and i'm does. just like how is that her daughter and, and then she puts on a gown and shoulder pads oh, and it's even God, worse that gown was fantastic oh and those like the full-length fur coats you don't the see those anymore fur coats i mean <laughs> and there's a scene at the end where they go into the coat closet and it's a fucking sea of fur coats it's the most oh 80s God. thing i've ever seen it's so tacky that whole office party is like the 80s threw up all over that room <laughs> i felt like the end of die hard made its way into this movie and everybody's dressed up in these crazy 80s outfits with their ginormous fur coats which also could make them Batman villains, too. I mean, nobody dresses like that anymore. It's absurd. It's absurd. So what I think is funny is that they keep calling the house phone. There's a, They get the answering machine 
foreign to kids. Like, what the hell is an answering machine? But then when they get the answering machine, they're like, oh, they just must be having fun. Click. And they just they don't must be out shit. having ice cream. They said they were going to be out uh-huh. till one in the morning. One and in the morning. The check the kids out for ice cream at like midnight. I mean, their reaction of everything's fine. Again, yeah, it is like... Fine. Perfect 10 80s. Perfect 10. It was just the whole scene of it. It was so funny to me. It's Maybe the house burned down and that's not why they're answering. But, you know, let's have another drink. Yeah. And, you know, meanwhile, they left the address and phone number of where the party would be, which is like, what the fuck would a modern baby... Can you imagine leaving that with some, like, 17-year-old these days? They'd be like, why the hell are you doing that? (laughs) It's insane. Yes. I'm trying to think when I babysat. I feel like there were numbers always, like, post-it noted to the fridge. Yeah. But but I never dreamed of showing up at the party. (laughs) Exactly. That's a good point. I'm here with all your kids. We have a problem. Oh my God, so Uh. much. And I also think the whole plot with Brenda, the hot mess friend, who's at the mean streets of Chicago bus station because in a failed attempt to run away, and she calls Chris from a payphone to come pick her up. And just everything about it is so 80s. Like she, A, doesn't have cash for a cab fare. Just the idea of a cash. Like, no Uber drivers available. <laughs> or, like, no phones surge to call an Uber driver. Can we talk about this bus station for a second? We by can the way? talk about this bus station. It looks like a casino from the outside. They have a big <laughs> blinking light that says bus. And I've never seen a bus station invest that kind of money to get a blinking sign. It, I mean, it really looked like they were calling you in to come play like slot machines. Then when you get in there, they had like these padded, probably fake leather chairs with TV stands in front of them, like individual television. Oh my God. And that's where all the homeless people and Brenda are sleeping overnight, but they look really comfortable. It was just like, bus yes. station. What? Have what? you ever been to a bus station? The the fact that they were like TVs, one of those, and I remember those where you put a quarter in to watch TV or some shit. I mean, I can't, we kind of had to explain that to my kids and then I just sort of gave up. I'm like, yeah, the, the concept of that is just like, so it's just too much. Have our bus stations devolved since the <laughs> 1980s? Because that was like the fanciest bus station I've ever seen. I mean, maybe they have kittens running around instead of rats. I don't know. <laughs> One note, though, going back to Brenda not being able to get back to the sunny suburbs of Chicago is that she's like, I can't afford the $40 cab ride. And I'm like, that is the lowest price I've ever heard to get from like the inner city out to the fancy suburbs. Yeah. $40. That's a bargain. Theoretically, she's complaining, oh, my parents, they're awful. I can't stand it. I'm running away. She has no plan. Nothing. At all. She's put all her money into taking the bus to the bus station and like now she can't get out of there but she also is so mad at her parents that she can't just take the cab back and make them pay for it she doesn't look like her family's poor is what i'm saying yeah no definitely just hasn't thought this through at all so she's dragging her friend into this yeah, and then she just has to wait there for her friend. I mean, I was thinking, like, can you imagine the text exchange between these two in the age of cell phones when you're just waiting there for your friend and your friend is off, like, singing the blues in some bar somewhere? I mean, yeah, it would be like, where the hell are you? So, I mean, everything about the situation just was very 80s plot device. And I almost kind of wonder, like, can you... I'm going to be like, get off my lawn for a minute. But can you even have adventures anymore with modern day tech? I feel like you have to let go of modern day connectivity to have any sort of fun. 
I mean, to have a spontaneous adventure, yeah, probably. Right. Otherwise, you have Google telling you, take a left, take a right. We're at the bus station. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, you blew a tire. Hold on. The idea that she blew a tire and was like, I know, I'll flag someone down because I have a checkbook was like, again... Who who walks around with their check? There's no Apple Pay. I mean, I know I'm being ridiculous here, but again, the plot was just very very and, 80s, very <laughs> 80s, total time capsule, hilarious. Uh, another thing I noticed that was more of a 1980s movie thing was the copious amount of product placement. Every scene, there's something either called out by name or just sitting on the table for no reason. Yeah, there's like. A very lengthy description of how he needs his Clearasil at the beginning and the benefits of the Clearasil. And it was like, all right, cha-ching, we got one there. And then when you go into their kitchen, it's like the Captain Crunch box is facing the camera and the Jif peanut butter is facing the camera. I don't know if they're putting those two together. I wouldn't put it past them. Also, it's dinner time. Why are you <laughs> eating Captain Crunch? But whatever. Like the mob scene they're all sitting at the table and they've got like cans of seven up and it's like yes because that's what the mobsters drink and <laughs> meeting where they're assigning which stolen cars go to which cities mm, love me some seven up yeah i kind of liked though seeing some of the old labels and the old logos and i'm like oh yeah captain crunch you're going I- nostalgic on it i'm like this is capitalism pure I- capitalism in a movie yeah and i kind of like it I do want to bring up the pacing and the action in this movie because it's something that really stood out to me. And I think it stood out to me as a kid, too. So to me, this movie has like more action scenes than Sylvester Stallone movies, than Terminator 2. It is like insane. There's subway fights. There's a medical drama. There's somebody flipping over a table in a fancy restaurant. There's everything. There's domestic violence. There's criminal enterprise. (laughs) It's insane. Then you have a random break in a blues bar. I mean, it just has everything. And that's something that I think kept my attention as a kid. It definitely kept my kids' attention because it was just, it never stopped. The adventure just kept going. relentless and chaotic. And there's a moment where they are walking by the river after the blues club that... They, like, casually are talking. And in my head, I was like, you guys are being chased by the mob. How are you relaxed right now? Like, keep going. (laughs) And I know we have to do that in the movie just to give the audience a break. But no. Oh, my God. Keep running, guys. Run for your lives. There's that one part where they get in the car in the process of being stolen. And the guy who's stealing the car ends up befriending them in some way and helping them. But they're doing that because they're escaping a domestic violence shootout. It was insane. But my kids sort of were like ready for that break and they're like wait a minute what's happening and i'm like oh i had to kind of explain like no the car is being stolen now (laughs) yeah this is not relaxing they are not safe (laughs) they're going to be increasingly more unsafe as this movie goes on so let's let's dive into the characters let's talk about chris who's played by a, a very young elizabeth shoe i knew who she was from the karate kid at this point i think she's actually really good here she's appropriately sweetheart girl next door type but completely exasperated by this babysitting job that she's taken you know i think this is the only movie i've seen her in i guess i've seen karate kid but i haven't i mean she didn't she was nominated for an oscar for leaving las vegas right so she was yeah i never saw but um oh isla she's fighting with the dog next oh we're gonna have to keep the dog stuff in (laughs) oh no (laughs) I kind of last like... time she had a concussion. This time, <laughs> this time she's fighting, fighting with, with the dog. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right, Isla, picking her up. 
Dog noises are welcome in this podcast, um, as are kid noises, so it's totally fine. Um, A little bit of chaos going on in the background. Yeah, so I think Elizabeth Shue is good in this role. Did you know that originally this was going to be a Molly Ringwald production? I did not. Yeah. I I mean, I could see her doing I could. I could see that working. She's got a very good, like, I'm disappointed in how the situation has worked out face. Yeah. (laughs) Her constant face in, like, the Breakfast Club and 16 Candles. Like, she's just disappointed in what's happening all around her. Yeah. And that would have been funny here, too. But I think Elizabeth Shue is very good in this role. As far as her character goes, she has a shit boyfriend. She upgrades to a better guy. You know, there's, there's not let's say a modern view of it, but I, I kind of accepted it. I thought it was okay. I mean, she's not Marion Ravenwood, but she, no, but, no. but she's also not, Oh my God. The other Marion that we just talked about, uh, from Robin. She's Hood. not Marion from Robin. Hood. She's either. not Marion from Robin Hood either. So I, you know, yeah. I think she had like a good down the middle. I wouldn't say she made the movie, but she was a great part of the movie. Yeah. I thought she did well here. I will also say the second there was a stage it was like an 80, another 80s trope. Like It's like Chekhov's gun. You cannot have the main character step onto a stage without having to perform a song. And I've never seen that happen in the real world. But in 80s movies, anytime there's a stage, it's, oh, whoa, sudden surprise performance. That, that scene itself we could talk about is slightly cringy, potentially, because it's like kind of weird that they're all chewing, like cheering on this like white suburban girl. But it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Because I do think that's sort of the turning point where she knows that she, things are like totally slipping out of control. They just es- escaped from the criminal enterprise. And she's there. They escape. And then they end up in the blues bar. And then she's singing the blues while the, the goons are after them. So there's, I thought that was a good turning point where the movie just even upped it a notch after that scene. I mean, I feel not that we're going plot point point by plot point here but i think she hit the fuck it zone when they were in the absolutely office because up until that point <laughs> she she's just fuck going along it's going amazing. along but like yeah the second <laughs> it was like we're in the office and we don't know what they're gonna come up here and do to us and that kid points up at the ceiling like we could go that way it's an auto body shop with one of those like little one room offices up the stairs kind of situation very and prevalent in 80s movies oh yeah uh, yeah, that's. I thought I'd be climbing through more ducks as an adult. That is also something that's greatly disappointing to me. That I've never once climbed through a duck to get away from like a mob or terrorists or whatever. But they do. They and do. They go up through the ceiling and then they balance beam their way across this giant warehouse over the mob meeting, which. If you want to compare this to Troop Beverly Hills, like that is way higher stakes than the end of that movie when they're walking across a log <laughs> over like a barely like, you know, 10 foot drop of a like ditch. Oh man, like, listeners, walk- <laughs> listeners, Amanda just has nothing but hate. She is team red feather over there for I Troop Beverly Hills. Yeah. There were no stakes in that movie. This movie, they are tiptoeing their way across a beam in this warehouse and that's the beginning of the movie like it just keeps escalating from there that's almost like a tame part of the movie she's gone full fuck its own even though i've seen this movie a thousand times i totally forgot how much her resemblance to the current month's playboy cover girl is a huge part of the plot it's definitely cringy but i do think she kind of plays it off i mean i did have to awkwardly explain what playboy was to my kids so that you was have to weird. explain what a magazine was? Correct. Like a print magazine? Yeah. 
I was like, yeah, it was all awkward and weird. But, you know, my kids just kind of like, okay, whatever. I mean, it it struck me as such a, like, pervasive thing in the 80s that we all knew what that magazine was and that teenage boys inevitably had it or were trying to steal it from their parents or apparently from the mob. And... (laughs) And that, yeah, she's just like, oh, yeah, I'm hanging out with, like, teenage boys and inevitably, like, these jokes are going to be made and that that's just accepted and part of her life. And that sucks, but that was very much the 1980s. Yeah, she definitely just sort of just rolls with it. Yeah, it's not her biggest problem in this movie. (laughs) It's definitely not. But she has a tough skin about it. So that was, you know, it was I thought that was good. But she does have a dick boyfriend who was played by Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. I, Bradley Whitford, I love. He is like one of my I love all-time him. favorite guy with a punchable face character actors. <laughs> I mean, he's so good in other roles, too. Like, he was really great. great on The West Wing. And, like, even the movie roles he's been taking recently are, like, just such funny choices. Like, Cabin in the Woods phenomenal like i loved his character in that or like get out he's amazing in that he's great in get out yeah great actor and i totally forgot he was in the movie it was just sort of fun to see him so young i had i got a real big kick out of it and it was hard for me to like accept his role as a dick boyfriend because i like him so much as an actor i do too yeah no i (laughs) he always looks like even when he's playing a character who's such a jerk like this role mike he just looks like he's in on the joke like he just his snarl just has this kind of humor behind it i find it hilarious if folks don't remember who he is he's the, he's basically the dick boyfriend he shows up in a douchey corvette he's wearing a douchey leather jacket he was supposed to take her out to dinner he flakes on that says his sister is sick it is a hundred percent obvious that that is a lie so that's who Mike is. Um, classic 80s douchebag. And of course he was lying and he was taking some other girl out. And somewhere between a medical emergency and a gang fight, uh, the, the kids find him in a restaurant and there's a whole scene of flipping over dessert tables. So, you know, he gets what he deserves, but classic 80s douche. He comes, gives his excuse, makes his exit and immediately cuts to Brenda going, he's lying. And in my head... I thought, oh, this character actually knows what's up. Like, Absolutely. Smartest character in the thing. No, she immediately proves herself to be a moron. But for that one second, I was like, Brenda's, Brenda's the helper we need right now. Brenda knows what's actually going on. And I don't know why she's so intuitive in this moment and then just a complete idiot for the rest of the movie. But like, she really had me for a second thinking she was the smartest character in the movie. Absolutely. Because she has a great line that, you know, Chris was saying... Mike's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And Brenda is said, no, Chris, he's the only thing that's ever happened to you. And I thought, oh, this this girl knows what is up. And Brenda also has, she's got a commentary about like, you know, we need to get out of this town. Like, this is all we know. And she makes it sound like they're in this like podunk population 500 village somewhere out. She's like singing Fast Car by, you know, Tracy Chapman yeah. slash Luke Combs over there. Meanwhile, like, no, they live in a suburb of Chicago, very drivable, apparently a $40 taxi ride. Like, they're not in the middle of nowhere, but those first few moments, I thought Brenda was the smartest character in this movie, and then she turns into the dumbest character in this movie very quickly. So, oh, well, 
And, you know, Brenda serves a purpose for the plot, and she has her funny moments, and I'd say for younger kids, like, the whole thing of her losing her glasses in the bus station, and she's petting a rat, but it, she thought it was a kitten. She's totally stupid, but she has some, like, pretty decent physical comedy. She made me laugh as an adult watching this again, and I don't think she was particularly memorable to me as a kid. No. Yeah, I couldn't remember what the catalyst was for them having to go into the city and then rewatching it. It was like... Oh, okay, Brenda's kind of a MacGuffin here. Like, oh, Brenda's in the city. We better go get Brenda. Yeah. Like, that's mm, dumbass. It's a dumb reason to have to go in there. But all right, go get Brenda. So Brenda's actually played by Penelope Ann Miller, who is a very good actress. Apparently there's some Ronald Reagan biopic coming out this year, and she's going to be playing Nancy Reagan. Oh, wow. So Fun fact. that point. Yeah. She also was briefly Mrs. Will Arnett before Amy Poehler was. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. She made Jess laugh, and that's good She enough. did. She made my kids laugh, too. But speaking of kids, let's talk about the kids. So you have Chris going over to babysit uh, Brad yes. and Sarah. Brad is, like, way too she's old, not, by the way. Yeah, she's not technically babysitting Brad. He's not supposed to be there. Oh, that's right, because he's supposed to sleep over at Daryl's house. Uh, Daryl, yes. played by Anthony Rapp, which we'll get to, but... So, I didn't recognize him at all. Oh, really? Way. Let's talk about Anthony Rapp first, because to me, yeah. I when I went to go see Rent as a teenager on Broadway oh <laughs> in the late God. 90s. And there he was. There he was. And I remembered him as, you know, because I, I guess at that point I had seen Rent in 1996. So I had probably been watching this in the early 90s. So it hadn't been that long since I had seen him in this role. To me, he's forever Mark from Rent. But when I, yeah. in a meta way, when I was watching him as Mark from Rent, he was Daryl from Adventures in Babysitting. I was like, oh, that's the Adventures in Babysitting guy. Um, no, as... I have such a disconnect. Like, I would have been so tainted by his character, Daryl, because Daryl's awful. Daryl is, like, <laughs> the worst. Yeah, and he's watching him in Rent. I would have been like waiting for him to like kick somebody or like curse someone out or just be <laughs> obnoxious. That character is so different. I've actually met Anthony Rapp on for oh, work, wow. and he's the nicest guy. And I have seen him on stage a couple times, but even when I see him on stage, and he's incredibly talented. In my mind, this this role is just burned into my brain. So when he came on screen, I was so happy to see him. Because like... when you when you met him in person, was he carrying that Playboy around? <laughs> oh my god! Well, he has a forever youthful face. I think even now, he if does, you look at pictures yeah. of him, he he just doesn't age. He's like Paul Rudd. He's the bad influence friend, a hundred percent. He's getting them into all this chaotic trouble. It's his fault that he stole the Playboy from that office. And that, you know, all the chaos ensues with the mob chasing him. He's the guy with the worst ideas. So. Oh, yeah. No, he's totally, that character's totally gotten into crypto and like <laughs> trying to like sell everyone on it right now. That character would meet Ferris Bueller in the city and they would have fun. I feel like Ferris would even get sick of him really quickly. (laughs) He is obnoxious and he's always laughing, but he's laughing at the most inappropriate moments. Like when she blows her tire on the highway, he's just cackling at it. Like, ah, ha, 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 as if he's not equally screwed. He's the jerk friend, but I find him really entertaining and I can't help but think he's a little charming. I mean, I think his awful, awful character is to make Brad the brother true character look like he's kind of nice that's true because compared to daryl he is 
a hundred times more pleasant to be around. Yeah, and he sort of blackmails his way into the adventure in the city. And he absolutely blackmails his way into it. Yeah, and you know what? They should have just handed him over to the mob to be like, here, kill this yeah, kid. You know what? We give you a sacrificial kid. He stole your Playboy. Go nuts. I mean, technically, Chris slash Elizabeth Shue is not responsible for his survival. So, you no. know. Yeah. She's been tasked only with the Anderson kids. Technically, only with Sarah. So, like, bye, Daryl. Bye, Daryl. I mean, his his jerkiness didn't bother me as much. but And I actually found it funny. Here's a good moment to flag that Jess watched the version that had been edited oh, for Disney point. Plus, and I've watched the <laughs> version of Adventures in Babysitting that was not edited and had all of the cringy, awful things that they had to dub over, edit out, and cut. And Daryl had some very choice lines really? in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like the scene you referenced, they're driving down the highway, and Chris is threatening the kids behave themselves like i will murder you and daryl has a line like how about raped oh really oh yeah that was not yeah. the disney and plus that, version I, that was cut out of the disney version yeah so he is saying a few things in the unedited version that just do not live up like those specific lines are not okay anymore because i watch this on tv I always watch the the edited version. It's always don't fool with the babysitter. And you know he says fuck. But yeah. So that's the version I had seen as a kid. And Disney Plus, I didn't really even realize it till we started watching it. And then it was clear that they were dubbing over some of these curse words. And I kind of appreciated that. Not just as a parent, but even as an adult. Because as a kid, I watched the edited version too. I had a nostalgia in a weird way for the TV dubbing. <laughs> okay. There's... Enough F-bombs in it, in the unedited version, that I think technically this should have been rated R. Like, because you had more than one. It was rated PG-13, because I did, as classic me, when um, we're sitting down with our kids, and my wife's like, what is this rated? And then I first look it up, when they're like 20 minutes into the movie. You could tell the words they're bleeping out, and I really appreciate when they replace every fuck with the word fool. It's hilarious. And... You know, there's words like homo that are said that are clearly, they're just bleeped out. And then words like slut are did they, bleeped yeah, out. Yeah, did they bleep it or did they like switch a new word in? They just bleeped it. it they didn't okay. bleep it. It's just, it's not bleeped, but it's just, it's you don't hear silent. it. It's just silent. Okay. So yeah, homo is silent. And okay. uh, slut is changed to sleaze. And fuck oh. is changed to fool. Hey. Hey. So I pity the fool. <laughs> yeah. Because I got the full fuck version of this movie. I actually think that would change there was my experience. There was enough. That would change our experience, I think, when we're watching as kids. Because Yeah, because yeah. it's her, like, we've already talked about how she went into fuck it mode when they climbed through the ceiling. But, like, she's in the middle of two gangs about to fight and yells, don't fuck with the babysitter. Or is it and, don't fool with the babysitter? Well, if you watch it on Amazon, <laughs> it's... I think meant to be a very empowering moment, but in my head I was like, nope, that's one fuck too many. We're in our territory now. Yeah. Like, this is rated R now. Yeah, so then there's Brad and Sarah, who are the actual, we'll call them kids, that are being babysat, even though Brad technically wasn't going to be. So Brad is supposed to be about 14 or 15. I think he's 15, they said. Yeah. And she's 17, so they're really not that far apart in age, but she's treating him like she's 30 and he's... 
10. I mean, as it should as a girl. I mean, 17-year-old girls are going to 100% be more mature than 15-year-old boys. But, I mean, by a long shot, they're practically adults. So Brad, to me, was just, to me, is like the awkward teenager is just timeless. He's a dork. He's a dork. But I, you know, I appreciated him as a dork. I like him. Yeah. No, and he... He definitely comes across as like he's trying too hard and it does feel cringy, but it's not creepy. A little cringy. cringy. Just like back up, dude. He's so obsessed with Elizabeth Shue, uh, Chris' character. He has a huge crush. He has these really cringy speeches about how she deserves better, but he's right. And he talks about how Mike, her boyfriend's a jerk and a bully. But yeah, it's a little cringy, but it's like the there's a sweetness to me for like the awkward teenager that's still kind of timeless. And oh, he gets totally friend zoned at the oh, end of this movie. So friend zoned. <laughs> He's pining so hard. He is so thirsty and she just is sitting there. It's like the end of the breakfast club. Like, well, I'll say hi to you in the hallway at school. Oh, <laughs> that's it. That's as good as it's going to get for you, Brad. <laughs> right. So, so Brad's little sister, Sarah... I love, so she's eight years old. She loves Thor, which is a superhero, which I kind of had to explain who Thor was. She's all in on Thor. The What I absolutely love about the Sarah character is that, yes, you have 80s, you have stupid tropes for things, but they have a seven-year-old who is a tomboy and embraces the tomboy. Of course, I'm watching it as an adult being like, oh, she's a baby dyke. That's great. Um, aww. aww. She is a Viking god. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Also, your gaydar is very strong. The actress is Maya Bruton. She was in a couple of movies as a kid, but she's actually a lawyer now. But it said she is a lesbian and she's married and has a couple Such of kids good with gaydar. her wife. Gaydar was very sharp in the 1980s. Like, <laughs> Well, I didn't pick up on it when I was a kid, but I sort of picked up on it now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> She's probably my favorite character in this movie as well. Like she Absolutely. is sassy and she's still at that age of like believing in things. So like that moment where they yeah. have to kind of tiptoe their way across the beam over the mob meeting. She, one of the characters is like, oh my God, we're going to fall and die. And she's like, no, I won't let you. Like she's yeah. got these superpowers that's yeah. going to keep everyone levitated and yeah, she just, she genuinely believes that Thor is a real god who lives in Chicago in an office tower somewhere. And she is fully there for it. Like, this is a supernatural adventure for her beyond just like them driving around <laughs> looking for Brenda. She's absolutely my favorite character. I mean, she's just yeah. so great. And I yeah. do like that they have a, a girl character that's kind of a tomboy. And I'll say that my son, who's six, like really liked her. He understood yeah. her because he's like, oh, she likes superheroes. I totally get it. So those are those are basically the main characters. And then we have a lot. We meet a ton of people along the way. They uh, initially, they blow out their tire on the highway as they're going in to get Brenda. They're picked up randomly by a tow truck driver who has a hook for a hand. And this immediately follows a scene where she's told a story about a guy with Ooh, a hook for a hand, like killing a babysitter and scrape, scrape, scraping his inside, the insides of all the kids out and ah, like ah. scary. And so basically someone calls in like, Oh, that guy's at your wife's house again. He's like so, our first entry point into the utter chaos that the, that yeah. where the, all the action scenes are as a kid, he was memorable to me and he's scary. But, like, also, you gotta be friends with him because you have no choice. Like, he's laughing 
and it's very creepy the way he laughs. And he makes that comment like, oh, you must be from the suburbs. And it just sounds oh, like right. something really bad is going to happen. And it does. But like, <laughs> not to them. <laughs> so he's off like shooting up a house. And that's the house of his away. wife, which is like, yeah, well, I, not, I, yeah, not just any house. That sort of went over the head to my kids. And it honestly went over my head as a kid. I, I remember him being like the nice tow truck guy. I forgot that he basically gets a fucking gun. And start shooting at his wife. That's yes. terrible. And shooting out the window and like almost hits them and like is just completely unhinged. But then completely. later in the evening, they run into him at the hospital and he's just like, oh, hey, I got your windshield. Babysitter. <laughs> hey, babysitter. Like, yeah. Yeah. At this point, he's one of their allies, but like he really shouldn't be. This guy's messed up. <laughs> this guy's fucked up. Yeah. yeah. So that's just our starting place. Yeah. They jump into a car that's unlocked and meet Joe, who's stealing the car. He's the, I, he's the nicest car robber ever. He's the car thief with a heart of gold. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> totally. Except, like, he's kind of an idiot, too, because he's like, okay, I'm not dropping you off on the corner. That's not safe, but I can't take you to the mall, so you're just going to come with me to this mob meeting and like he does come through in the end but like i wonder what happened to him the next day because like his boss is gonna murder him for everything he did in this movie yeah i mean this is what you have to accept for a kid's movie is that yeah he's the he's a goon but a nice goon and he ends up thief with a heart of gold (laughs) exactly and so he does help them in the end he leaves his fellow goon out on the windowsill of a high rise in Chicago and helps the kids escape. And yeah, I actually, as an adult, wondered that too. I'm like, this character is going to be at the bottom of a river tomorrow. needs to flee the city, (laughs) change his identity, but he seems very relaxed about the whole thing. So, all right. Yeah, he seems cool with it. And I think these are the things that you have to accept with a kid's movie, that it's okay. But he was a fun character. I mean, you know, my kids liked him. I liked him again this time around, 30 years later. And when he first came on the screen, I'm like, Joe, yeah, I love Joe. I mean, he seems casually amused by everything these people (laughs) are doing. Like. Oh, look at them. They're singing. Oh, that's fun. Oh, okay. We got to run them down with the car now. But like, oh, look at them yeah, run. It's nice. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love Joe. He he was right. he was like my favorite side character as a kid. He's he's in a lot of trouble. Yeah. He's at the bottom. His character's at the bottom of, bottom of a he's, river and has been there for 30 years, but I love him. Yeah. He's in Lake Michigan somewhere <laughs> with a bunch of concrete blocks on his feet. Yeah. But, uh, uh, did you want to talk about Dawson? I would love to talk about Dawson. So, did you notice who that was? I forget his name, but he's been in a... So, we're talking about Dawson now, The who is a.k.a. Thor. Uh, the Thor, garage, the auto mechanic, yeah. Right, or who Sarah thinks is Thor. He's been in a million things. He was in Men in Black. He was, you know... That's Vincent D'Onofrio. Right. Like, he's, go, he's Gomer Pyle from Full Metal Jacket. Oh, that's like, right. Yeah, from Full Metal Jacket. How the yeah. hell did they clean him up to look like Thor? Like, he always <laughs> looks like the most deranged, could kill you at any second, don't make a like loud noise, you'll set him off kind of... They've got him in a blonde wig. Like he, his entrance in this movie is the best entrance of any character. Yeah, there's he steam, like steam. There's just spotlights muscles. on him. He's slowly coming down like a mechanical elevator, and it's just like, what is happening here? But it's Vincent D'Onofrio who, 
I think the first time he really entered my like brain as an actor was from Men in Black. So yeah, same the bug. With me. Like, how did they transform him into Thor in this movie? It just doesn't connect in my brain. He definitely was memorable as a kid. I mean, my kids were like, or at least my son, who's six, was sort of terrified when he came on the screen. He's like, <gasps> what is he going to do? You know, he has this intimidating presence. It's very memorable. He's he's kind of a scene stealer. He's in there for like 30 seconds. Yeah. He does his bit and he it's very charming. You know, he's he's this gruff guy, but as soon as he realizes that Sarah thinks he's actually Thor, he softens Well, no, right he's a jerk. So at this point, another MacGuffin, they owe him 50 bucks. They got to get him the 50 bucks. They only have 45 and he's holding out really hard for $5. Also, by the way, the scene where they're driving to Dawson's, there's so much just going on there and like they start playing gimme shelter that's right and i was just like did this just flip into like a martin scorsese movie like what the <laughs> hell's happening in this scene i think they're just going to get the car but like it feels like they're about to run into the goodfellas and all get murdered it definitely does it's a little over dramatic for sure but the over dramatic effect works on kids i remember working on me it worked on my kids they were sort of terrified about what was about to happen but i will say as an adult now i'm like really you could barely get a garage to be open at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday. They're going to be open at midnight on a Saturday. That get the fuck totally out of here. totally crossed my mind, too. I was like, you fixed a windshield with a bullet hole in it that quickly? You've got to be kidding You've got to be kidding. Get the fuck out of here. The hour. Yeah, no, it's just like, why are we, like, we're in a hole in the ground under the river. There's a garage <laughs> down here. Everything's green. And, you know, I'm just waiting for Ray Liotta to show up with machine gun. And Absolutely. Kill them all. We skip over. There's a character they meet at the frat party. Dan. Oh, that's right, Dan. Like, Let's talk about Dan. Who, um, like throughout all these capers, Brad has been like leaning in really hard on Chris, being like, "You're dating a jerk, Daryl. What do you think? He's a jerk. All right, like everyone has consensus here. Chris, you're dating a jerk. So they're really working on her to like dump the guy, and. When they go to the frat party, she meets a very cute guy who is like, oh, you need money? I got money. Oh, you need a ride? I got a ride. Like, he can solve all their problems. And she only asks him for a ride to the garage and, like, the money he's got on him to, like, solve all these problems. And he's happy to do it because he thinks she's super cute. But, like, when they get to the garage, she's like, I'm going to stay here and just make sure everything's okay. And she's like, nah, you're fine. Like, doesn't ask for his number or anything. And it's like, lady, he's trying to, like, make sure you don't get murdered in there. Like, (laughs) why are you sending him on? You're like, oh, no, I'm, like, imposing a lot. I was like, you've already taken his money in a ride. Like, he can wait there for five minutes while you walk into this creepy green garage that's under the river and, you know, like, not get shot by Ray Liotta or whatever could be happening down here. Which could totally happen. I don't know. He's an 80s guy. <laughs> He's an 80s guy. But why is it that the 80s depicts frat boys as wearing like sweater vests to frat parties well, what is up with that because he's supposed to be like the nice like clean cut white boy like he's he's literally wearing like a fisherman's sweater under a blazer kind of i mean it's yeah. a weird look for a frat party definitely a weird look for a frat party and i think he's basically the boyfriend upgrade and at the end you know they have a whole like kiss scene at the end after everything all works out but, I, and, you know, I was thinking, I was like, do I not like this? Do I, do I mind it? I kind of didn't mind it. I was like, okay, 
I'm okay yeah. with the boyfriend upgrade. It's fine. Yeah. Not the purpose of the movie. The purpose of the movie is do not get these kids killed. Yeah. Those are the stakes. But like, kids all right, have to survive. Up, yeah. You're leveling up your dating while you're doing it. But that's a secondary. My daughter turned to me at some point because at the end he's like, oh, I came here to find you because I need a babysitter, which is like kind of a cringe line. And my daughter's like, I don't think he really needed a babysitter. I'm like, nope, he didn't. Yeah. Good sense, Lily. <laughs> that's that's a bad pickup line. Lily, learn that. That is a terrible pickup it line. It is. It's a little cheesy. So they need an ally who maybe isn't breaking any laws. Yeah. I mean, I think the most innocuous of all the people they meet is when they're in the blues club and the uh, guy won't let them off stage without singing. So just to segue into that scene, and I think it's part cringy and part amazing. I love that scene. They run out on stage because they, they didn't even realize they're running out on stage. And of course, the singer's like, nobody leaves here without singing the blues and, and pressures her into start to sing. And when she sings, basically, she starts telling her story like, oh, I'm just a babysitter. And they're like, da -na 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 -na. the song then ensues, which is basically becomes this like babysitter blues song. I love it. I think it's so much fun. And as an adult, all the things she's talking about for babysitter blues, like I'm just trying to keep these kids alive, is kind of relatable as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> And as a parent. And I think it's so much fun. I loved that scene. I didn't remember this scene at all. And the second they burst onto the stage, I was like, oh, fuck, God, <laughs> they're going to make them sing. And like, this is not a musical. Did you like it, though, once the song kept going? I think my takeaway was like, this could be a lot worse. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know that I don't love, love musicals anyway. You did love so, Beauty and the Beast. You loved it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I, I was bracing myself to be like, this is the worst thing and I can't stand this movie anymore. So I wasn't left feeling that way. And that's as much of a win as you're going to get with me oh. in an 80s movie where characters suddenly find themselves on stage and have to sing. Yeah, I hear that. And I yeah. think that those of us who watch this a lot, I mean, as soon as she ran on stage, I'm like, oh, I love it. And I, I couldn't wait for it. I was like, oh, don't do it. I was like, and... sing it, girl. Sing sing out yeah. your babysitter blues. And of course, I was like, get get Mark from Rent in there, too. <laughs> oh, man. And like, you can't even really hear him. No. A wasted opportunity, obviously. I know. They didn't know who they had. They didn't. Uh... They were just like. Less than 10 years away. Yeah, so then everything all wraps up into a mad dash, you know, after the crazy scene at where they show up at after the party. Their, yeah, after their diehard scene. After their the diehard abandoned, scene. Every tower in the 80s had an amazing party going on on one floor and then a completely abandoned floor where you could fight crime. Obviously. On, mostly on the upper levels and yeah. And so they're just in a mad dash. They have the car, the windshields replaced, the tires replaced. They're just flooring at home. And then I thought of you, Amanda, when I watched this, because they get home, they beat the parents there, and they, there's an insane cleaning montage where, like, Elizabeth Shue. Oh, yeah. I know that you love your cleaning montages. And it was that scene gave me slight anxiety of how much she was just... Just How rushing much macaroni and cheese. Can you get off the counter in the floor before the parents come home and realize you didn't clean that up six hours? <laughs> exactly. 
Right. It sort of reminded me too when Elena goes away and then like the day before she comes home, I'm like, oh shit, I got to sweep and vacuum because I can't, you know, have to walk into this. too. Yeah. No, when like Jeremy's on a business trip, I'm like, the day he comes home, I got to make it look like I've been living this pristine life the entire time. <laughs> it's all lies. It's all lies, yes. Jeremy. But you know, it all ends okay. And, and to me, my lasting impression was like, and I think one of the characters even says this, that this is the best night of my life. And I'm thinking... As a kid, I remember thinking like, this is what I have to look forward to. This is what the best night of my life is going to be like. totally what I'm going to do when I'm either babysitting or have a really awesome baby. A hundred percent. Now, do you feel disappointed that you haven't actually done this? No, because like, it's so dangerous and insane. Okay. But I... I was going to say, uh, you're still young. It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. I could be chased <laughs> by the mob while I'm hoarding a Playboy. I don't know. Yeah, you could fight people on the L train in Chicago and like have to meet Thor and negotiate over $5 over a tire. And yeah. I like to remember that I thought that that was basically what a great night out was, would be. So, and so I was still charmed by it as an adult. I mean, I feel like I've had a few of these nights, but like parts of it are blurry. So I can't totally confirm. Yeah. So what, what are your closing impressions of it after it all wrapped up? Cause I, I am kind of a little, you seem to like the movie, but I'm a little anxious that maybe you didn't cause yeah. you don't have the same history. I thought it was a real yeah. complete movie. I'll say my kids kind of enjoyed it partly because yeah. they're primed. I mean, they haven't seen the actual remake of this, but They've seen similar remakes that draw from this movie, that directly reference it even. So they were in. The fact that it went from one action sequence to the next really kept them interested. So it was kind of fun to watch them be kind of interested in the plot. So that was fun. Even if I had to explain shit like Playboy, which was awkward. And yeah, and just the yeah, idea. all the talks you're having with your kids after watching these movies. <laughs> right. And just again, answering machines play a role. But it was still overall kind of fun. They could relate to it. I don't think it's one that my kids are going to go back to, like like some other movies. Like they go back to Robin yeah. Hood. They go back to some other ones. Um, they even go back to Never Ending Story. So they do go back to some older 80s movies. But I don't think this will be one. But they still kind of enjoyed it. All right. I do need to flag a few things that I took issue with. And you can play devil's advocate as I say All right. Them. Flag your cringe. Try me. Right. Try me, Amanda. Uh, well, all right. It doesn't kill it, but like this movie had so many MacGuffins or plot coupons, which for people who don't know those terms, that's when you really are dependent on a prop to move the plot along. The Playboy is an example of that. The $50 is an example of that. Missing roller skate that needs to be returned at the end is an example of that. Or like her telling the story about there's a guy with a hook for an arm and then they immediately run into a guy with a hook for an arm. When you do it that many times, it sometimes feels like a little bit lazy or it's like too much of a coincidence. So like Fair. that I was feeling a little bit. I think the biggest thing for me, and we talked about this a little bit, but like the idea in the 1980s that the city was so scary yeah i i want to say like oh the characters are braver for going into the city and coming back out but it's like are they the depiction of the urban as hellscape i mean we've joked before about suburban hellscapes on on this podcast yeah edward scissorhands is a hellscape right and and then we have actual hellscapes like mad max but i think that did it didn't bother me i registered it and i registered it as something that felt dated what did you like about this movie? And I assume you're going to say you liked everything. 
I put this in the notes. Like, I would rather watch this version of Let's Do a Tour Through Chicago than Ferris Bueller again. I'm going to take that as a positive sign. It is. Yeah, I like this movie a lot better than Ferris Bueller on rewatching it as an adult. I just found this to be a total joyride. This was this was the joyride through Chicago that I wanted Ferris Bueller to be. <laughs> with the uh, domestic abuse and carjacking. That's fine. I'm okay with it. Mobs. And, and the mobs. <laughs> it's fine. So, so I think we're ready for rating. All right. I've got a spreadsheet, oh, as always. Amanda, as an order Muppets, getting her spreadsheet out. For those who aren't familiar, we're going to score this first as adult for does it live up to us as adults? One to ten. One being garbage, ten being Princess Bride. And then we'll score it for its intended audience, which is kids. So we'll start with adults. What do you think, Amanda? What you got for me? I, for an adult... If you've never watched this before and you don't have the nostalgia, I'm going to go very neutral here and give it a five. Oh, that hurts. Like, it's not bad. It's not good. It's a movie. Yeah, it's sort of interesting when we've had these movies, and I know you've seen this before, but don't maybe don't have the same you watched on repeat. It's such a different yeah. experience. And I know you've had that with this and Overboard and uh, a couple others and Hook even. And I've had that with Mad Max and Reindeer. So it's sort of interesting how it really influences how we rate it. So my adult rating, I'm going to go as high as an eight because okay. way, way different from where you are. And I think because I found it joyful because the cringe stuff didn't bother me, it's not all the way because I think it's dated. And I think I'm going to knock a couple points off for being dated, but I really had fun watching this again. So 13, that's not terrible. I'm I'm slightly encouraged. So the next rating is where, you know, whether it lives up to kids to its intended audience, which I'd say is kids and tweens. Same rating score, 1 to 10, 1 being garbage, 10 being Princess Bride. What you got? I'm going to give this a 6 for kids. And it is nonstop action. And you do have Sarah, the daughter, who's like a really good character for a kid to follow along with. And she's genuinely funny. I think you have good instincts here because I agree with all that. And I also gave it a six for kids. All right. We agree on something. Amazing. They couldn't relate to the 80s type environment of technology and what a Playboy is. But there was enough there for them that it was fun. They had fun watching this. And I, right. I do think there's a staying power for this type of thing because there are remakes that kids do watch and like. So a six. And I, I think for parents, you can go ahead and watch this with your kids. It's fun. But watch the Disney Plus <laughs> edited version. You're like a big ad for Disney st- Plus. Cannot stress that enough. Correct. And, <laughs> and know that you're going to have to explain what Playboy is. I think we very seldom agree. So that's a 12 for kids. And we both agreed there. Yeah. So where are we, Amanda? We're at 25 total. 13 for adults, 12 for kids. I feel like it should be a little higher. But I'm I'm all right. You always do, though. <laughs> yeah. Curious, where, what did we score coming to America? Coming to America was a 26. And this was a 25? Yes. And you and I both gave that a five for kids. Because it's like rated R. Um, yes. Well, in my mind, I think I, these two are weirdly tied in my head because I think I watched them probably like they were probably yeah, back scheduled to back, back to back on TV. Along with Troop Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, you had, a, you had a rotation going. But it feels right to me that these are scored in a similar way, except, I mean, coming to America is comic genius, but that's okay. I could live with this. 
But this is not the only thing. The score is not the only thing. We both, so for those unfamiliar, we both have to say yay or nay, whether we think it lives up. And we both have to agree in order for this podcast to deem it living up. And good Lord, if we disagreed sometimes. So I think I will go first here. I definitely think it lives up. I'll just give that vote right away. I enjoyed it. I had I got to see things that were a little different from an adult perspective. I got to watch my kids enjoy it. It lived up to me. And I have no idea. I have no idea what you think. Oh, this brings me right back to the overboard situation where I did enjoy watching this movie. I'm not sure it's a hell yes for Oh, me. no. It was fun. I don't know if I'd rewatch it, though. And you were saying you don't know if your kids would rewatch it. Were you glad you watched it? I'm glad I did because my memory of it was so tied to the awkwardness of being in a random house in Massapequa, Long Island. Like, I think watching it again has actually improved my memory of this movie. Like, it's better. It came out better than it was in my memory. So that is good. I just don't know if it's a hell yes. Because that's that's sounding to me like, in a weird way, it didn't live up to your weird impression of it. So they're henceforth. Yeah, no, I, I think... I have a better impression of it than I did. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly want to go out and watch it again. Mm. Yeah. And I think we've established that it has to be, you have to be sure. Yeah. We've got a very high bar for living and up. And it's okay if not everything makes it. I mean, I'm disappointed as I was with Overboard and Trip Beverly yeah. Hills and Hook. I still think you were wrong on Hook. A hundred percent. I still think you were wrong on Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think I might have been wrong on that one too. But anyway, it's a very high bar. And yeah, this one just is not a hell yes for me. I think it's okay for us to have a high bar. So, you know, yeah. disappointed that we are officially deeming this not living up. However, I will register my disagreement. I think it's a fair, fair criticism. And so for folks listening, you, I assume, are going to disagree with Amanda, but you may not. But we'd love to hear from you either way. So at LiveUpPod on all the socials, at LiveUpPod at Gmail, email us, tell us why you think Amanda should watch it again. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm watching Jessica's face as her heart breaks over me saying that. Oh. <laughs> but you know what? I will say this, listeners. Oh. We're going to get Amanda one day. We're going to get her yeah. to watch a movie we love and she's going to love it. And it's going to be great. I'll come around. She'll come around. I'll so my curmudgeon heart will be melted by something. Something. In the not too distant future. We'll find it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah.